I'm going to start with a question today. If you can ride a bicycle, how did you learn? Just cast yourselves back, you know, five years for some people, 60 years for others. How did you learn to ride a bicycle? Where were you? What was it like? Did anyone help you? How often did you fall off? How did you learn? Did you sit down and study physics? Did you learn about balance and momentum and gravity? And only when you had mastered them did you hop on a bike? Well, I certainly didn't. Uh, that was me many years ago. I learned to ride a two-wheeler at the age of about four or five when I was living in Warragee Street, Nara. Uh, without safety wheels, I was an idiot then, uh, or anyone else walking around uh, behind me. I watched my elder brother, and when I got a chance, I pinched his bike and took it up to the top of a slope in our back garden, and I hopped on. And I fell off. After about a meter or two, we had yards in those days, but didn't get very far. And uh, then I tried again, and again, and again, until I got it. And then I got to the bottom of the slope and turned right up our driveway and then around, and I just went round and round and round and round. And I got it. And I've been riding ever since. Knowing how to ride a bike requires personal commitment. Uh, a few essential things that result in a worthwhile achievement. Uh, it does not flow from a detached observation of them. As my knees and elbows testified, you have to have skin in the game. And there would have been no point sitting on a bike at the top of that slope and just hoping that things would work out. Uh, or thinking that because I'd watched my brother things would come easy to me. Learning to ride a bike requires commitment, taking risks and useful actions. Uh, and so it is with gaining wisdom. On a bike I know that if I close my eyes I will likely crash. If I don't think I'll have an accident. If I stop using my arms and legs after a short time it's not going to go anywhere and I'm going to fall. Riding a bike is an all-in thing uh, and so is getting wisdom. You ride and learn wisdom by personal commitment, not by detached observation. Getting wisdom is not a spectator sport. Well, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, were expected to learn the laws of Moses and follow them. Uh, it wasn't a harsh, mindless activity. You know, parents were involved, rabbis were involved, there was instruction and encouragement. And it wasn't just dispassionate rebukes. It wasn't like the mindset that we see uh, in some of the Pharisees who turned the laws of Moses into 613 specific laws, which the kids had to learn by the age of 12. Uh, the commands to love God and love wisdom were there from the beginning. 
And they were always to be the lens through which the rest of the laws were to be learned and lived. We saw last week Jesus' hatred of hypocrisy and legalism. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practised the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. There's no wisdom in swallowing camels. Uh, I have had camel meat, I don't recommend it, but trying to eat the whole thing, not such a smart thing to do. And so we continue in Proverbs 2, our quest for God's wisdom of how to live well. Don't eat camels. I said we began this series... Uh, where we go? I was leave it there at the moment. I said when we began this series that we start to acquire wisdom from God and understanding of Him and how we should, uh, how we would have it, us live by listening. Remember, I said the ears are a really important organ because that's the way that they connect with our brain and heart. And as we listen and think and listen and think, we develop a respect and reverence for God without. Which, uh, uh, which our Bibles call the fear of the Lord. Listen and learn and, and learn to respect and have reverence for the God. But when learning to ride a bike, after a few warnings about how the brakes work uh, and staying upright and looking where you're going, it's time to hop on the bike and give it a go. And so today the writer of Proverbs expands on listening and fills out what comes next. And we can expect a a few mishaps along the way. In Proverbs 2, it starts with a series of four ifs. If you listen, you can take the next step. Listening isn't enough on its own. First, my son... If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your hearts to understanding, if we have a choice. We don't have to be wise. We do not have to take God's advice. We can do it our own way. With the first if, God calls for a wholehearted acceptance of his word not sit on the fence, not hold God at a distance with unnecessary questions, not put God to the test or set up proofs for God. If you are God, make me well. If you're God, help me pass this exam. If you're God, let me win lotto. Uh, Sadly, that's not acceptance. The store up my commands within, sorry, and store up commands within, the second part of this. I think there are two parts to it. First, we have to let God in. There are people who go to church for years who seem largely untouched by what they hear 
about Jesus. But they can do things about the place, but there's no real engagement with Jesus. No sense that they really know Jesus. No joy in knowing Jesus. Jesus is the best part of every day, the best thought we can ever have. However down I am, to think of Jesus lifts me up, truly. But for people who can't or won't let God in, they just miss out on that joy. And I find that very sad. And I really pray that they will let God in. Let him take over and shape and and help them gain wisdom and, and with that, joy. The second part of this advice is to store up the commands. Uh, Not have them go in one ear and out the other. If by the end of lunch today you can't remember a word of our service today, our readings, the sermon, Andrew's prayers, our songs, then perhaps, and I say just perhaps, you're not storing up God's words. Uh, You might forget the sermon, that's perfectly understandable. But I hope something sticks. Some people are good at memorising passages from Scripture. Some people even remember the main points and examples in sermons. I'm actually amazed when people come up to me years after I preach a sermon and tell me about a sermon I preached and I can't remember it, but they can. It's great. But, but, but these skills are, are not for all of us. Uh, the test is really whether God's commands take hold of us, uh, are written on our hearts and are evident in the way that we live. If when confronted by a choice, we make the right choice because we've stored up what God has spoken. His words have shaped us, shaped our minds so that we actually do what he would have us do. In our proverb, that is what the father wants to see in his son. Not just the appearance of listening, but but change reflected in the right words and actions. We see that in the the second verse and the second if. If you turn your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Like cycling, it's all or nothing. It's not just listening. We have to put our hearts into it, which means all of our being. Uh, It's not just an intellectual exercise. I may have mentioned this before, but the great English philosopher, Lord Bertrand Russell, author of The History of Western Philosophy, uh, an incredibly big and influential book. He was an atheist, but he knew the principles of Christianity. He had to, to write his big book. Apparently, he used to flirt with his domestic staff in front of his wife, in part to embarrass his wife. Lord Russell was very clever, but could never accept God's wisdom because he would have had to change. He would have had to apply 
the wisdom that he had learned. He would have to have read, left the behaviour that many of us would call obnoxious. And he had to go all in with God. And he didn't want to do that. The German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche saw Jesus and Christians as weak. And he never wanted to be weak. So he rejected God's wisdom. God also expects passion and desperation in our search for his wisdom. We see this in the third if. If you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if sometimes you're at home and you're just, what is going on? Why is this happening to me? That's exactly what God wants you to feel. But he wants you to then call out to him and say, please help me. I'm here for you. Call out. If it hurts, let me know it hurts. This isn't mild curiosity about God. It's desperate. I cry out to God. I remember when I was a warden, this is not a particularly significant example, but it sticks in my mind. I was a warden, um, very new to it, 30 years ago, down at Barney's. Uh, We'd been ripped off by a tiler who was doing some work in the St Barnabas Terraces. And I was new to being a warden and sort of didn't know what to do when things went wrong. As I walked back down Glee Point Road, I called out to the Lord, what do you want me to do? What should I do? How do I help us get out of this problem? And in his mercy, he he answered. And there have been many times when I've realised that I just can't do this alone. When confronted by the awful things we see in the the news or intractable problems. I call out to the Lord. I'm not stupid, but I'm not going to rely on my brains and experience when God says he will help. And he's there waiting for us. All we have to do is cry out and ask for help, to be honest, to open ourselves to him. Let him in and then let that open us up to him so we can call upon him. And what value will we set on what we hear from God? Our proverb says, this is the fourth if, if you look for wisdom as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. Jesus uses these images in the kingdom uh, in in teaching uh, that we heard about the second reading. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, not not wisdom, but the two go together. If you get God and his wisdom, you get the kingdom. If you get the kingdom, you get his wisdom. They go together. if you value them. And notice the reference to joy. 
And notice that the man went all in. He sold all that he had. That's skin in the game. That's getting on your bike and falling off until you have it under control or you have your life under God's control. And what happens when you listen, accept, store, apply and value what you hear from God? What happens when you go all in with God? Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Just read that again. That, that's, that's worth it, isn't it? That, that's worth having skin in the game. God's wisdom, knowledge of God. Understanding. We'll never do that if we don't go all in. Hanging around on the edges isn't enough. Jesus told the story of the rich young ruler who wanted to know what he had to do in, to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said it wasn't enough that he knew the commandments of God. The rich young ruler had to sell everything he had and give it away. And the message in that parable is not that every Christian has to be penniless, but that to be a Christian, you have to get rid of anything that stands between you and God. If it's your attachment to money, that's got to go. If it's your career, if it's your ego, if it's your sense of entitlement, get rid of them. Anything that stands between you and going all in with God. That's what Jesus is talking about there. And when we have skin in the game, our proverb says... God holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield for those who walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. The proverb says, if you do all these things, then you will understand what are right and just and fair. You'll you'll understand every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. What more could we ask? To know the best way we can be in the world. To know what will please our Lord and Saviour. To know what will be good to other people. To know how to make friends and keep them. To manage the challenges of children or family. of not having enough. I'm not saying we will have an easy life or always get things right, but we will do much better if we rely on God rather than relying on our own cobbled together wisdom. And when you go all in with God, when you listen, accept, store and apply, wisdom will save you from the ways of the wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil. 
whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Here there is specific advice about the company we should keep. Don't hang out with people who cheat or cut corners or have schemes that are too good to believe or or break the law. But did you notice the proverb talks about wicked men and men whose paths or whose words are perverse? Well, I suspect that few object to the gender-specific language there, but some may object to the next bit. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. To understand the gender-specific language, we need to understand a couple of things. First, the proverb is cast as advice to a son. Sometimes there is a particular need for sons to have wisdom. But for most purposes today, we can see this as advice for us all, irrespective of our age or gender. All the ifs apply to each one of us. Second, the reference to the temptation of an adulterous and wayward life may seem sexist to us. Because, as far as I know, in most cultures, it is men who are the most adventurous or aggressive when it comes to initiating sex. Statistically, men usually have more sexual partners than women. Men commit many more rapes and sexual assaults than women. So why blame women? Haven't women been blamed for centuries? when men are often more adulterous or abusive. After all, Adam blamed Eve for his own sin, and the Pharisees picked on the woman caught in adultery, not the man who was with her. Yes. But here the advice is being cast as advice to a son who is being tempted. So it makes sense for this father, in the context of his day, to cast his son's tempter as a woman. But as I say, the advice here has broad application to us all, whatever our gender, age, marital status, or sexuality. So the father warns his son of the temptations of sexual immorality, sex that does not fit with God's plan for it. That leads down to death and to paths to the spirits of the dead. I take it that this is mainly to be taken metaphorically, to refer to spiritual death, but in the culture of his day, also social ostracism and quite possibly physical death from venereal disease, which was rampant and untreatable and could lead to death. This is good advice for a father to give his son. And as you might expect, the proverbial advice ends with a warning about what happens if we follow his advice and if we don't. If we do as he says, you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it and the wicked will be cut off from the land 
and the unfaithful will be torn from it. The land was so closely connected with God that to be cut off from the land was to be cut off from God. For us today, we're not so much concerned with the land of Israel, but we can substitute God for it in in this teaching. The upright will live with God and the unfaithful won't. For this isn't just a few tips on how to get on in the world. It's the wisdom of God for those who want to truly live with God, who want the good life now and forever. Have any of you been watching the tennis? I know Jackie has. I know Carlin was, but quite a few of them. Yeah, it's been great, hasn't it? How do they do it? I mean, I'm quite serious. I've played a lot of sport, but how can you stand there and return a service that's going at 180 or 200 kilometres an hour? The women were bashing it at 190 kilometres an hour yesterday. I couldn't... There's nothing I could do with that other than pick it up out from behind me. You have only a split second. How do you read the server? And how do they so often get it right, which way they're going? I mean, they might not hit it back, but at least they know. They can, they can read it in that split second. How? Well, they do it by training themselves. How can someone throw a basketball into the basket from the halfway line? How can someone hum a tune and someone like Paul or, or Colin just pick up a guitar and boom, 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 and they're playing it or, or, or bash it out on the piano? How? Well, by practice, and practice, and practice, until it becomes second nature. Our bodies respond without plotting every muscle movement it takes, every, every thought that's needed to do that. And so it is with gaining wisdom. If we continually do as God says here, and in the rest of the Bible, we will, be, we will train our bodies and minds to make the right move, to say the right thing. Or, if you actually read on in Proverbs, there's far more about remaining silent than there is about wise words. So knowing when to remain silent, to not do something unless we know that it's likely that more good will come from it than harm. And uh, so as we go further into the book of Proverbs, we will hear much more about the specifics of God's ways. Today we've seen little more than avoiding the ways of wicked men and avoiding sexual immorality. But I hope you will think about what you have heard today. Accept it and store it up. Following God's ways, learning and living his wisdom isn't so much about keeping rules and knowing stuff. It comes down to listening to God, making the right choices and committing to that course. And that means knowing what the right course is. And when we do it often enough, when we listen, accept, store, apply and value and go all in, It becomes almost second nature. 
and life does become easier. So to the young among you, I do, life does become easier. And for those for whom life is hard, just think what you've heard today and how might your life go better if you do as this proverb encourages. So let's spend this year learning to ride the bicycle of wisdom a bit better. And now we can stand. And really there's one hymn that really takes us to where we need to go with this, to to the God who is immortal, invisible, God only wise. Let's stand and sing this great hymn.